This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. If you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Amen. Appreciate that, girls and guy. <laughs> very, very good. We have a mighty God. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we do again come before you in the name of Jesus, Lord, looking to you and asking for your help tonight, Lord. Um, we pray. We pray for enablement. We pray for the direction, uh, direction by your Spirit. I ask that you enable me to speak the message you would have delivered here. And again, please open all of our ears to hear. Give us ears for your truth, Lord. And use it to draw us close to yourself, we pray. Lord, change our minds so that You are more and more the focus so that we live in such a way that all that we do would be for Your honor and glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I think I think I'm going to start by just asking first of all if there are any any burning questions from this morning. <laughs> uh, we covered um, a few verses, but um, kind of a tough subject this morning. So, nobody. Okay. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna move along then and pick up in verse seven and. Just a, a reminder here, even before I read this, uh, and I'm going to go ahead and, and read through the remainder of the chapter, and just just a reminder here of uh, of, of what kind of what's going on, um, what Paul is dealing with. Now he is now he is answering um, matters that were submitted to him in a letter from the Corinthians. You see that in verse one, Paul says, uh, "Now concerning the matters about which you wrote." So he is now dealing with issues that they have presented to him in a letter. And as I mentioned this morning, I think probably what's going on here is that they were taking issues with his teaching. And now he is responding um, to, uh, to clarify here on some issues. And the first one we dealt with this morning, uh, he addressed those who were married. So in verses one through six, and, and this is this is all going to have to do here um, with with uh, the married with, with marriage and, and sexual relations, um, so and sexual immorality. So first of all, he addresses the married, and he's going to go on now to address uh, the unmarried and the widows. And so the unmarried, of course, um, can include those who have never been married and those who. Um, find themselves single again, such as the widows. And he's even going to talk to those who are 
married, but are believers married to unbelievers. All right? And one of the, the uh, main things here, I, I mentioned this this morning as the controlling motive of this chapter is this desire to change one's status. And so Paul's reply is, do not seek a change in status. And that's, that's going to continue to be the motive as we, uh, as we move through the rest of this chapter. So um, you're, you're married, don't seek to be single. You're single, Paul's advice, don't seek uh, to be married. And he's, he's, that's going to be qualified. We'll, we'll get to that. Because um, uh, you might think, well, you know, no single person should get married. Well, no, there's, there's a qualifier here. Um, and then, are you maybe a believer married to an unbeliever? Well, you don't seek to be divorced. Uh, but again, qualifier there as well. So, the controlling motives don't seek a change in status. All right. So, uh, and some of the running themes, you know, we we talked about this morning, um, just their false idea of spirituality, and that's what a lot of what you see going on here. Um, that's what that's behind the verses we talked about this morning, I think. So you have some who are abstaining. Again, we're talking about married people abstaining from sexual relations, and and the idea is they've got a false view of of what it means to be spiritual. So they're they're abstaining because they see that as a fleshly act and therefore a sinful act. And now, on the other hand, we're going to see here in a moment, and you have some that are Christians married to unbelievers and, and uh, are, are thinking that maybe um, they should be separated because this is an unholy union. Don't seek to change your status. Is again, the idea. You're, you're married, stay married. You're married to an unbeliever, stay married. Um, with some exceptions, but we'll we'll go on here. And I just wanted you to keep those things in mind as we're reading. All right, verse seven. Now I said this morning with verse one we started a new section because Paul moves from um, dealing with the reports that he got from Chloe's house to now dealing with issues from this letter he received from the Corinthians. Well, now we're starting a new a new thought or a new paragraph in, in verse seven, even though. Um, the editors of my Bible didn't make it a new paragraph, the, the, the ESV that I have here. But I, but I think it is correctly so. So he's starting a new thought in verse 7. I said this morning, verse 6, now, a concession, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. That statement in verse 6, I think he's looking back to what he has just said uh, in the previous verse, uh, in verse 5. Uh, when he says that you, you can only separate, um, perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. So that's, that's the concession that he's making in verse 6. So now verse 7 starts a new thought. I wish that all were as, my, as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. 
to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and she consents to live, uh, he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. Let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Um, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the, remar- the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though, as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. 
And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire, his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well. He who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Okay. That's a lot. Alright. But, kind of wanted to, to read it all together because he's dealing with the different groups. And again, encouraging them essentially to stay as they are. The main objective here, just like we were talking about this morning, just like we always talk about really, the main objective here is to glorify the Lord. What is the best way to glorify the Lord? Well, the Corinthians seem to have some funny ideas about that, and that's why these issues arise at all. They produce the statement that we talked about this morning. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, in verse 1. So, in, in their thinking, in their, their, um, their, uh, their view of, of uh, this physical life versus spirituality, they see that the physical is bad, the spiritual is good, and so they, they begin to abstain from, in this case, uh, sexual relations in order to be more spiritual. What Paul is doing is coming back and saying, you can do everything that you do for the glory of God. In other words, you can stay married for the glory of God, and you should, he says. You, you don't violate God's command in order to be more spiritual. So, like we, we talked about this morning, you, you don't abstain from sexual relations in the context of marriage, which, which would be essentially violating um, uh, a command of God and depreciating a gift of God. You don't do that in order to be more spiritual. You enjoy God's gifts. That's true spirituality. You live in obedience to the Lord. That's true spirituality. Well, similarly here, they seem to be contemplating divorce. Again, in order that they can uh, be more focused, be more spiritual. And Paul, of course, is uh, pointing out to them that God has forbidden divorce. And so, again, it would, it would be violating God's command to put away your wife for these reasons. So, you don't, you don't, you're, you're not more spiritual by living in disobedience to the Lord. It's interesting that that would even come up 
But it does. You know, Jesus dealt with that in Matthew 15. Um, they, they, he was accused of breaking the, violating the tradition of the elders. And, and they asked, why, why, do you, why do you violate the tradition of the elders, transgress the tradition of the elders? And Jesus said, why do you translate, uh, or transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? And he gave them a scenario, which they were obviously doing. God has commanded that children shall honor their parents. But you say that if they, if they bring that that belongs to their parents, this monetary uh, provisions, and, and, you, and you give it to the temple, this is what they were doing, um, you call it Corbin. That is, it's a gift of God. It goes to God instead of to the parents, right? And that's okay because it's going to the work of God. And Jesus said, in doing that, you're transgressing God's command in order to keep your own tradition. So, in their false spirituality, they were willing to violate commandments of God um, in order to um, keep their own tradition, keep their own um, type of spirituality. A similar thing going on here, it seems. All right, so let me go back to the the beginning of this. uh, In verse 7, Paul says, um, and we'll try to move through this pretty quickly here and just, and just take them, kind of take them all together. Um, Paul says, first of all, in verse 7, I wish that all were as I myself. Now, what does he mean? He's, he's single, right? He lives a life of abstinence. His life is totally devoted to the Lord. He has no wife, family. But, Paul says, each has his own gift from God. One of one kind, one of another. Every, as we're going to see, everybody's not gifted to be single. Everybody's not gifted to live a life of abstinence. So, he says in verse 8, To the unmarried and the widows, I say. Now, he's moved from the, 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 the married people that he was talking to in verses 1 through 6 to now focusing on the unmarried and widows. So, you have uh, presumably those who have never been married along with those who are now widowed. Paul says, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So just as he says in verse 7, I wish that all were as I myself. He says, I'm I'm going to give this advice to the unmarried and widows. Be like me. Remain single. Live a life of abstinence. But, because each one has his own gift from God, Paul says in verse 9, if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul's simply saying, it would be good if you can remain single and devote all of your devotion to uh, attention to God, to living for the glory of God. But, if you cannot exercise self-control... Then he says it's better for you to marry than to burn with passion. And what he's saying is, if you cannot exercise self-control, you don't have the gift of abstinence. And if you don't have the gift of abstinence, you should marry. Just like he said in, earlier in the chapter, those who abstain from sexual relations, they're putting themselves... Uh, are making themselves vulnerable to, to uh, sexual immorality. 
the temptations of sexual immorality. That's basically what he's saying here as well. It's better for you to marry than to burn with passion. If you don't have the gift of singleness, then the result is going to be that you burn with passion. You, you cannot um, exercise self-control. So, Paul says, you should marry. And then he moves to the married, verse 10. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. Now, let me say this real quick. Look, look at verse uh, that phrase in verse 10, not I, but the Lord. You get down to verse 12, he says, to the rest I say, this time he says, I, not the Lord. So what, what's the distinction there? First in verse 10, I'm going to tell you what the Lord commands. Then in verse 12, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you um, something myself. This is coming from me, not from the Lord. Is he saying, this is my opinion and you can take it or leave it? This is just advice, whereas in verse 10, he's giving command of the Lord. Uh, I don't think so. I think he's simply, all, all of this is inspired, okay? When the Apostle Paul writes and teaches, it's, it's inspired. It is God speaking to us. So in verse 10, I think what he's simply getting at here is this is something Jesus himself dealt with during his life in ministry. Of course, you do find that teaching, in, in this teaching in Matthew 19, for example. So he's simply reminding them, to the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. He's reminding them, the Lord has spoken to this, the Lord being Jesus. And this is what he says, the wife should not separate from her husband. Remember the motive? Don't seek a change in status. You're, you're married, remain married. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does... She should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife or put away his wife. So he says, first place it shouldn't happen. That's what, that's what Jesus said. It's not to be that way. From the beginning it was not so. A man leaves his father and mother, cleaves unto his wife. The two of them become one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder or, or separate. So that's what Paul is, is echoing here, the words of Jesus. And if you do separate, I mean, he really doesn't... He says, you can do that, but you've got to remain unmarried. He really doesn't give them a, a, a real exception here. If you do separate, you remain unmarried or else be reconciled to your husband. So in other words, that relationship is still valid. And the same to the husband. The husband should not divorce his wife. So, for the unmarried, he says, it's good if you can stay as you are, if you're gifted to do so. To the married, he says, you must stay as you are. Remain married. To the rest, in verse 12, now we go to a different group. To the rest, well, who would the rest be? We've already talked about the married and then the unmarried and widows. And then we came back to the married again. Now he says, to the rest. Who would that be? Well, he's going to tell us here. He's talking to believers married to non-believers. You've got another group of people in the church. Um, believers married to unbelievers. To the rest, I say, this time he says, I, not the Lord. And again, I think he's just simply saying, uh, it's a way of saying, Jesus did not... 
deal with this. In other words, we don't have a quote from Jesus to, to uh, refer to. But, uh, as we see later, Paul says, I have the Spirit. You know, I think I have the Spirit. So Paul is speaking um, under the inspiration of the Lord here. But, but this is not something the Lord Himself addressed specifically. So Paul says, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Now again, I, I, I think this uh, again is the product of the, the, the false spirituality. In other words, why, why would this question even come up? Why would this issue arise? Why would they be interested in divorcing um, an unbelieving husband or wife? Because they see the marriage as unholy with their false view of spirituality. Now you've got a, a believer and, and they see themselves as spiritual, uh, which is true. If your Spirit of Christ dwells in you, you're in the Spirit. Um, so they see themselves as spiritual and they're thinking, okay, now I'm married to someone who's unregenerate, unregenerate, someone who's not spiritual. This is an unholy union. So, again, in order to be spiritual, a spiritual person, um, we need to divorce. And Paul says, no, you need to stay together. You need to stay together. If the unbelieving person consents to do that. So he says, again, to the rest I say that if a brother, I not the Lord, that if a brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, she consents to live with him, she should not divorce, he should not divorce her. And if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. But Paul says, probably to their shock, you should remain together. And then he gives some, uh, some of the truth behind that, the logic behind that. Verse 13, If anyone who has a husband who is an unbeliever... I'm sorry, verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her children. Again, that suggests, by implication, that they are thinking this is unholy. This union is unholy. Paul saying, no... The unbelieving husband is made holy by the wife. The unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. So the unbelieving wife is holy. The unbelieving husband is holy. The children produced in this union of believer and unbeliever are holy. Paul is saying, now... A lot of times the question comes up, you know, does that mean that they're saved? Because your spouse is saved, they're automatically saved? No, that's not what he's saying. I think what he's simply, again, doing is addressing their false idea of spirituality. So he's saying, if I can paraphrase, he's saying, you're thinking that such a union is wrong. Like, it's it's a defilement. You've got a believer with an unbeliever. And Paul is saying, what I'm telling you is what happens when, when, in this case... Um, that it's not the unbeliever, it's not the believer, rather, that's defiled by the unbeliever. The unbeliever is made holy by the believer. So he's simply saying, it's a way of saying that the marriage is acceptable, it's valid, it's holy, it's sanctified in the eyes of God, and therefore the children 
are holy. They're clean. Now, we should note, alright, if you're talking about getting married, you're not already married, but you're talking about getting married, you are forbidden to marry an unbeliever. I think the Scripture is clear on that. So, so you sh- a Christian should not marry an unbeliever. But if you're already married, and then you come to Christ, now you find yourself, uh, and, and this may be the case, uh, crowd this size usually is the case with some people, but you, you come to Christ, and so now you find yourself married to an unbeliever. You know, we were unbelievers, now I'm saved, so now I'm married to an unbeliever. Paul says, stay with them. Don't divorce. The marriage is good. I've, I've had people um, ask me before or, or insinuate, you know, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I married the wrong person. No, you didn't. <laughs> if you're married, if you're married, you're married to the right person. What God has joined together, Jesus doesn't say, you know, except, you know, these certain circumstances because you were stupid, you know. No, I, that would apply to all of us anyway. Um, he said, what God has joined together... Let not man separate. So if you're married, you're, you're with the right person. Stay with them. Stay with them. Paul says, don't try to get out of that. However, it, it's, it, it is if they consent. So I mean, if they leave, that's a different story. But if they consent to stay, they're happy to stay with you. And then Paul says, you stay with them. They're sanctified by you and your children are holy. In other words, the whole thing is acceptable um, stay with them. Verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. So he's saying if, they, if they're not uh, happy to stay, they, they don't consent to it. M- maybe the fact that you became a Christian, you know, they just say, well, I don't, I don't need this anymore and I'm not living with a fanatic or whatever. And they leave you, then Paul says, let it be so. Now, <clears throat> In my understanding, I'm just putting this out there. Paul's not, well, he is dealing with this, but, but not in the way I'm about to say it here. Um, there, are, there are two um, exceptions. When, when Jesus says that you, know, you should not divorce, in Matthew he mentions one exception, and that's fornication. Except for the cause of fornication. So, so one of the partners is unfaithful sexually, so Jesus says that's grounds for divorce. Um, Paul is giving another one here. That is, if you're a Christian, married to an unbeliever, and the unbeliever leaves, then he says, you're no longer in bondage. In other words, the marriage covenant is broken. You're released. Okay? I think that is what he's saying here. Um, Again, verse 15. The unbelieving partner separates. Let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved or in bondage. Now, one reason I I interpret that the way I just told you that I do is because in Paul's writings in Romans 7, he uses very similar language when he talks about uh, the bondage. Uh, And I know that doesn't sound like a... A positive way to put it, but it actually is. Uh, when he talks about the bondage of marriage, it is bondage. It's not bad, but it is bondage. Uh, when you hear the term, you know, it just kind of connotates a bad thing. 
But uh, he's, he's, he's in Romans 7, talking about uh, being bound by law. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. All right? So she's bound, Paul says, as long as the husband lives. But if he dies, she's released and um, she's free. She's free to marry another. Um, in Romans 7, 3, if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So the marriage is until death. And when the, de- when the partner dies, then she's released. And she can marry another. Now, when he says the law, according to the law, she is bound, and that's the key word, bound. She is bound until the husband dies. That's the same word Paul uses here in verse 15. Not bound, not enslaved. In such cases, that is, if the unbeliever leaves, in such cases the brother or sister is not bound. God has called you to peace, Paul says. Verse 16, for how do you know, wife, now he's getting back to the idea of staying, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? He's saying stay with the unbeliever because you may be the very instrument that God uses to bring them to Christ. Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? He's saying stay with the unbeliever, the unbelieving wife, because you, husband, may be the very instrument that God uses to bring her to Christ. So don't seek a change of status. Stay where you were when God called you. Verse 17. We're just going to try to cover cover a few more verses here. I know time is about up. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Now that's the point Paul is making all the way through here. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Is temptation, (laughs) um, self-control in regard to sexuality, is that a problem for you? Now, what I mean is this. In other words, is the thought of living a life of abstinence a problem for you? then you're not assigned to live a life of abstinence. You're not gifted with that gift. So live the life that you've been called to. If you can remain single, do it. That's what he is suggesting that. But if you can't, marry. Now, if you were married when you were called, stay there. Don't seek to be unmarried. If you're married... Now you find you were married, and you find yourself now married to an unbeliever. Paul says again, remain married. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. And by the way, that, that uh, I think you know kind of confirms what I was saying a moment ago. If you if you find yourself now, you say now I'm saved, and I'm married, and I think I married the wrong person. Notice the way Paul. That's the very thing he's dealing with. You know, saved people who find themselves now married to a lost person. 
And notice the way the language he uses in referring to these situations. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. So, you know, when you, when you profess acceptance of the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, we have to be consistent with that in every area. Difficult to do sometimes, isn't it? And we, <laughs> we think, well, you know, maybe, like, maybe that happened when he had his back turned. You know, I did something really ridiculous and caught him off guard. No. He was in control of that too. So let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches, Paul says. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision accounts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. That's the issue. Living the will of God. Keeping the commandments of God. Living for the glory of God in in a real sense. Being obedient to His design. His purposes. Verse 20. Each one, he says again, should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Speaking to the, the slaves of his day, and he's saying, look, there's, there's, a, there's a higher form of freedom. And, and you may be a slave. You may be a, have been a slave when you were called. But you're God's freed man. You're free in the Lord. So you don't necessarily need a change of status here and now. You're God's freed man. By the same token, he says... Uh, in verse 23, uh, I'm sorry, verse 22, For he who, had, who was called in the, in the Lord as a slave is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. There's another, there's another Christian paradox. We're free and we're slaves at the same time. You might say, uh, in, you know, some of Paul's readers might say, well, you know, I'm just, a, I'm just a slave in this society. Yes, but you're God's freed man. You're free in the Lord. You're free to do what God has designed for you to do. You may be in, in bondage in one sense, in that you, you can't just do what you please and move about in a society as some other people do, but you're free to live God's calling. It's like we talked about this morning in Sunday school. Paul is in prison... Nevertheless, he's free. He's free to do God's will. Even while in prison, he's preaching the gospel. Even while in prison, he's committed to the glory of God. And that's what he's saying here. And he knows from experience. You're God's free man. Were you free when you're called? Good. But you're a slave to Christ. You're God's freed man in the sense that you're free to live out God's design for you. You're God's slave or Christ's slave in the sense that you're not your own. You're bought with a price. And he's still echoing that sentiment all the way through here 
Because again, this is at the heart of their thinking. You know, I, I, I can do better or I have rights or whatever the case is. Paul's saying, no. You can, you, can, you can serve God. You can live out God's design where you are. And, and he does reiterate that in verse 23. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now, I'm going to have to stop there, but let me just say this. I want to point us back real quick to verse 20 of chapter 6. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And that's Paul's message all the way through here. In whatever situation you're in, seek to glorify God. True spirituality is is going to be living out God's design. Seeking divorce when God forbids it is not spiritual. Even if you're married to an unbeliever. Stay with them, Paul says. If you're a married person and you think, well, I could serve God better if I was single, again, violating God's command and seeking to be separated, is not the answer. And that's not a form of spirituality. That's a false idea of spirituality. So Paul says, remain where you are. Live out your calling. Live out God's design for you. And in the process, seek to glorify God in your body. In your body. That is spiritual. Even what you do in the physical realm, if you're committed to the glory of God, if you're living in obedience to Christ, keeping the commandments, as Paul says here, keeping the commandment of God, that is true spirituality. And that's what Paul's trying to point him back to. Would you stand, please? Gosh, I guess we could have gone on. You know, everybody's got off tomorrow, right? <laughs> Well, we'll stop there. Brother Dickie, you mind praying for us and we'll dismiss. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.